This week, we're studying the life of Abraham, and we're going through this, study, this, this series called I-Faith. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter, thir- uh, chapter 13. That's where we are again this week. But, but as you're turning there, let me tell you a story about an individual. The individual's name was Henry C. Morrison. Henry C. Morrison and his wife were missionaries for 40 years on the continent of Africa. They served God faithfully on the continent of Africa for 40 years. They got to the retirement age. God brought them back to America. So they came back home to America. They, they boarded a ship there in Africa. They were headed and set sail for New York Harbor. And what Henry and his wife were not aware of is a very important passenger was also on that ship. The president of the United States of, the, of America at the time, at the turn of the century, uh, President uh, Teddy Roosevelt. And so President uh, Teddy Roosevelt w- was on board the ship, and as they, as they sailed into New York Harbor, the people on the upper decks of the ship looked, and they saw thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people waiting to welcome them home and greet them. There were bands playing. They had banners standing up saying, welcome home, and confetti, and all the stuff that went with them. And as far as they could see, there were people cheering, and a band was. And then the announcement was made that the president of the United States of America is on board, and we're going to let him disembark first, so he can be welcomed home properly, and then we will let everybody else exit the ship. President Roosevelt and his entourage uh, were greeted by bands and thousands of fans and banners and all of that stuff, and a parade started, and then. Then an announcement was made and said, now everybody else can disembark. And Henry and his wife grabbed their luggage and grabbed each other's hand. And they started to disembark and they were walking through trash and confetti. And all the crowds are gone. All the bands are gone. And they walked down a couple of blocks to a small motel room that they could barely afford and And Henry is sitting on the side of the bed looking at his wife, and he's angry, and he's hurt, and he's frustrated. And he looks at his wife, and he tells his wife, he says, 40 years. 40 years of faithfully serving God in Africa, away from family, away from friends, away from the comforts of home. 40 years. And we come home, not one person welcomed us home. Not one person. And Henry's wife turned and looked at him and said something that only a wife can say. And she said, Henry, you're forgetting one important fact. We're not home. This isn't our home. One day, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, will welcome us home. You see, a lot of times, the reason that we struggle in a life of faith, the reason we struggle walking by faith and not by sight, and we get discouraged and we get angry, is because we forget. This isn't it. This isn't our home. fact is, if you want to unleash the power of God in your life, it comes through faith. If you want to unleash the power of God in any area of your life, it comes through this issue of faith and this issue of being being willing to walk by faith and 
not by sight. And Abraham, if it hadn't have been for God, Abraham would have lost his life in Egypt. Remember, we left off with the story of Abraham. Abraham had gone down to Egypt. God had never called him to Egypt and told him to go down to Egypt. And he went down because it made sense to him, right? There wasn't a famine in the land. The Nile River was there. He could have an easy life. And so he began to walk by sight and not by faith. But the power of God is unleashed in your life and my life when we're willing to walk by faith and not by sight. This this morning, we're just going to look at one principle, and then we're going to lead into a time of communion and Lord's Supper, and then, and, then, and then baptism, and you're going to witness some people getting baptized throughout all three services this weekend. We will have baptized 16 people are going to follow the Lord in, in baptism, and, and you're going to witness some of those here in just a little bit as we close this service. But I want you to look at some issues of Abraham's life. You see, when we left off with Abraham, Abraham was selfish. See, the root of all sin is this issue of selfishness, this issue of I only care about myself. I don't care about the people around me. I don't care about my family. I don't care the hurt and the pain that I cause to them. The root issue of all sin comes out of this issue of just selfishness to where, you know what, I only care about myself. I only care about my needs. I only care about my comfort. I only care about my happiness. And we're going to see where Abraham changed his life, and he went from a life of being selfish only caring about himself to a life of selflessness. See, worship is very important in the life of the believer. It's very important in walking a life of faith. And so one principle we're going to look at this morning is this, is that a life of selflessness, a life of faith is demonstrated when we're willing to submit to God in worship. You see, worship is critical to life of faith. Worship is critical for you, and worship is critical for me. Worship is everything to the believer as we follow him and as we walk with him, where we make declarations of who he is and that he is good and that his promises can be trusted. Watch this, Genesis chapter 13, verses 1 through 4 is our text this morning. Here's what the scripture says, and I know we looked at it last week, but this group of scriptures has so many principles in it that, that we just have to grab these. So in Genesis chapter 13, verse 1, scripture says, So Abraham went up from Egypt. That is the picture of repentance. I've told you that. We talked a little bit about that last week. God never called Abraham to Egypt. God had called Abraham to a different land. Abraham went, went down to Egypt. He compromised. And now the scripture says that he's returning to the Lord and he went up from Egypt. You see, repentance is this. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of action. It is is not saying, I'm sorry you're upset. I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry you're mad. I'm sorry the situations are difficult. I'm sorry I'm going through some difficult consequences. I'm sorry that things didn't turn out the way I thought they would. That is not repentance. Repentance is this. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. Because we looked at this last week, your disobedience will chart a direction in your life. And it may take you places that you do not want to go. The same is true that obedience in your life takes you to a direction in a different place. See, repentance isn't even this agreeing that, you know what, I shouldn't do that. That is wrong. That is hurtful. But that's just who I am. That's how I act when I get angry. That's how I act when you do that. That's how I act in that. You don't understand that's who I am. I I cannot help myself. I know it's wrong. I know it's bad. I know it causes... That's not repentance. 
Repentance isn't even agreeing with someone that it's wrong. Repentance is this. A change of mind that leads to a change of action. In other words, all of a sudden your direction changes in your life. You make a a course direction, if you will. And Abraham did that. And Abraham repented. And the scripture says he is now leaving Egypt where God never called him to go. And he's, he's returning back to the Lord. And you know the great thing is? God welcomes him home. And so the scripture says, as we go on, so Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him, into the Nedgeb. Now Abraham was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Nedgeb as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. Between Bethel and Ai. There are so many principles in here about this issue of where he worshipped. Verse 4, watch this. Where did he go? To the place where he had made an altar. And he returned to the Lord and began to worship him as he once did. And there Abraham worshipped him. He called on the name of the Lord. This may be appear, appear to be a period of stopping or resting for Abraham, but this was much deeper and much more important than that. This wasn't just a t- place where Abraham took a break from the call that was on his life. This was one of the most important things that Abraham did. Isn't it interesting in Egypt you never see that Abraham worshipped? He never had a priority of worship. He never went to church. In his disobedience, in his rebellion, you never see that principle of worship in his life. And now he returns to the Lord and he returns to him and to worship him. If you're not consistently worshiping him or expressing love for him, then it's probably due to the fact that you're not grateful or thankful for what he's doing in your life right now. There are barriers of worship, whether it's this issue of of, of not having gratitude or not being thankful. Pride can be an issue to worship to where, you know what? You really believe you're a self-made man. You're a self-made woman. You provided all this stuff for you. It's, it's all about your gifts. It's all about your talents. See, this was a critical time in Abraham's life when he just, just worshiped God. It was a time of gratitude and time of thankfulness. You see, in Egypt, he could have been killed. Pharaoh could have put him to death. But God protected him. It's crazy to think about. God protected Abraham in his disobedience. Yeah, there were horrible consequences. But he protected Abraham and still loved Abraham. Didn't remove the call off of his life. And Abraham worshipped him. God had made some promises to Abraham and A lot of people don't understand this, but there's a difference between just hearing a promise from God and receiving a promise from God. See, anyone can hear a promise from God. Anyone can read all the promises of God in Scripture. Very few people understand the power and how to receive a promise for God. You know how you receive a promise from God? You make room in your life for Him. 
Karen and I, a number of years, many years back, almost 30 years, 28 years ago, uh, got married and we stood up in a church with a pastor and, 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 uh, and congregation and loved ones and friends and witnesses and all of those things. And we made promises. We made promises to one another and we made promises to God, right? And you know how we received that promise? We changed our lives. We never lived as single people ever again. And we made, listen, to receive a promise from God is to make room in your life for Him so that the promise can bear fruit, can bear out, can bear forth in your life. Abraham had done that. Abraham understood there is a promise from God on my life. And Abraham changed everything about his life. Why? Because he was making room for the promise to bear forth. It's the same way when we receive Christ, right? The promise of a relationship with Jesus Christ, the promise with, a, with, with eternal life. And we receive that by making room for him in our life to where our values change. Our priorities change. We live in a time and we live in a culture to where now there are really no distinctives between non-believers and believers if you look at statistics. But Abraham, he changed everything about his life. You see, faith will grow in the soil of thankfulness. You enjoy blessing an ungrateful person? Is complaining what, what you're doing for him now? See, worship is his expression. A love and, and gratitude. It was. It's also interesting about where Abraham chose to worship God or in between Bethel and Ai. He had he had Bethel on the west and he had Ai on the east. The, the name of Bethel in the Hebrew means the house of the Lord. The name of Ai means destruction, ruins. You know what Abraham was saying? Before I made room for you in my life, Lord, I was headed for destruction. I was headed for ruins. I was headed in the wrong direction. And when you came into my life, Everything changed in my life. And now I worship you in the house of the Lord. This was a time that Abraham remembered the Lord and remembered what God had done for him. It was probably an emotional worship experience for Abraham as he remembered God's protection on his life. There's three things that, that, are, that, are, that are critical in the issue of worship. There's three things that we submit to God in our worship. And so there, there are our time, there are treasure, and there are tongue. Let's look at those real quickly before we go into this time of the Lord's Supper. The first thing is this. In worship, in biblical worship, the first thing that we submit to him is our time. The first thing that, a that Abraham does is when he returns to the Lord and he gets to this area, he does what? He builds an altar. He was vested in building the church. He was vested in building a, a, an altar. Listen, when you read the scriptures and you read the Old Testament, what it took place to build an altar, it was no easy task. It was exact. It was precise. It was described in scripture. It took Abraham a lot of effort and a lot of time. In other words, when, when, when Abraham returned to him, he made worship a priority in his life. I mean, it was a high value in his life. 
It was higher than any other value in his life. Listen, what you do is what you value. You want to know what you value? Look at your daytime or your calendar, your iPhone, whatever you use. And Abraham took time. And he got involved. And he built an altar to worship him. Abraham was busy. The call, the promise on his life is that he is going to be the father of many nations. And he pulled away from everything, built an altar, and worshiped him. For you to worship him and for you to submit to him and worship, it has to become a priority in your life. It has to be a, a value in your life that you hold and that you that you value. Second thing is this, that you submit to him, you submit to your time, but you also submit your resources, your, your treasures to him in worship. See, in the Old Testament when they would worship, it wasn't just calling out on the name of the Lord. It was offering a sacrifice. And when you read the scriptures, you realize it wasn't just any, any sacrifice. They would take the very best sacrifice that they had. They'd take the very best animal that they had that was without spot or blemish. I mean, they wouldn't choose the one that was kind of like leaning up against the fence, about ready to die, that they're really not going to miss. They took the very best animal that they had. And they sacrificed it. And they offered it to him. Because you submit to him and worship through your time. And through your resources. And you know, that's two of the most emotional things that we talk about in life, whether it's your time or with your money. But Abraham understood that that was a part of worship. In fact, it's King David in, in, in Samuel chapter 24. God tells King David, he said, David, go to this man in town and buy the threshing floor, his threshing floor from him, and, and then, then make a sacrifice for me there. Turn it into an altar. And so King David went to this man and says, the Lord has told me that I need to buy your threshing floor. The man responded to him and says, well, wait a minute, you don't understand. I am so flattered that the king wants a piece of my property. It's yours. I'll give it to you. And David says, you know what? I have to buy it for you. I cannot offer God anything that cost me nothing. We have so many Christians that they want this Christianity that just doesn't cost them anything. There's no cost to obedience. There's no cost to making priorities in their life. It's just... But you submit to God and worship through your time and through your treasure and People will look at this and say, well, wait a minute, that's kind of making us nervous here because, like, that's tithing and that's the Old Testament law. Do you realize when Abraham did this, this was 400 years before the law? God has created us to be people to worship him. God has created us to be people of, of givers and giving. That's why we always have to build up defense mechanisms of why we can't give and why we can't make it a value of time. You're not careful, you know, money will talk to you, right? I mean, you hear that all the time and when people say, you know what, money talks. And it's really true, money does talk. I mean, before I can order something on the Internet and it's delivered to my doorstep, um, 
you gotta, you got to give some money, right? Because money talks. Or before you buy a house, before you buy a car, you got to make a commitment of money before you get the product because money talks. But here's what I've learned. Money will talk to you. Fact is, your money will talk to you, right? Money will promise you things that only God can give you. Your money will promise you significance. That you can get enough money and you can pile up enough money in your life to where you can finally have significance and you can finally feel important. Your money will talk to you and your money will promise you some things that only God can give you. Your money will promise you a better self-image. That if you can get enough money and you wear the right clothes and you drive the right cars and you live in the right house and you can have the right toys and all this other stuff and you put this facade up of everybody around you, that God can give you the, or the money can give you the perfect self-image. You're not careful. Your money will talk to you. And your money will tell you that I can give you significance. I can give you self-image. I can give you security. If you get that 401k big enough, and you get your retirement big enough, and you get your savings accounts big enough, then you can have security. Listen, let me tell you stuff. Things that are going on in our economy right now, none of us can store up enough money to protect us from what's going on in the economy. Only God can give us significance. Only God can give us self-image when we know who we are in Christ. Only God can give us security. If you're not careful, your money will talk to you, and your money will tell you that, you know what? I can give you happiness. You can get enough money, and you can be happy. Your money will talk to you and tell you that, you know what? I can give you peace of mind. If you're, not ha- if you're not careful, money will talk to you. You know what's interesting? This last week, I was thinking about that thought, and I went all the way through the Gospels. There is not one instance in the Gospels when someone came to Jesus and said, we got this big problem, we got this huge problem in our life, that Jesus turned and looked at them and said, you know what your problem is? You don't have enough money. You need more money. If you, if you had enough money, you wouldn't be having that problem. You know what God, you know what Jesus told them? What you need is more of me. What you need is a deeper relationship with me. We submit to God and worship by making worship a value in our life, by making it a priority in our life. We submit to God and worship by giving back to Him what He has so graciously given to us because it's out of a heart of gratitude, it's out of a heart of thankfulness. We submit to God and worship through giving of our treasure because what we're saying is, is we trust you. And you're the one that provides for us. See, we submit to God and worship through our time, and we submit to God and worship through our treasure, but we also submit to God and worship through our tongue. And how we declare things back to him. Fact is, the scripture says that Abraham called on the name of the Lord. What is up with that? What does that mean? I mean, Abraham called on the name of the Lord. That means to call out the attributes of God. That means to talk about and call out to God that you are faithful and you are good. That you do protect me. You do provide for me. You are holy and you are true and you are good. 
When you and I call out to God and we sing songs like we we sing here and we worship Him, do you realize we are calling out on the name of the Lord? And we are making a public declaration. Now listen, there's some people who say, whoa, wait a minute. I have a little bit of problem with that public declaration stuff. I like to to worship Him in here. It's like personal. I'm kind of uncomfortable. I mean, there's people around. There's people looking. Let me tell you something. It's real interesting. Where Abraham built this altar is in between Bethel and Ai. You realize it was the most public place of their area? Corporate worship is a public declaration. Abraham did not care who looked into his life. Abraham did not care who saw him call out on the name of the Lord. And listen, in their time in this area, there weren't many God followers in this area at all. But Abraham, he didn't care. A value of worship, you declare, you proclaim him, you call out on his name publicly. There is something powerful about corporate worship. And this is where we're... Abraham began to call out on the name of the Lord and say, you protected me and you provided me, even in my rebellion, even in my disobedience. You know, I had an Egypt experience one time that lasted about two years. I still remember my first worship service back. And you know what I learned? If I can trust him with my Egypt to love me, to protect me, to not judge me, I can trust him with everything in my life. Because he had every right to say, that's enough. I'm done. You will never worship God at the level that he desires until you are grateful and you are thankful for what he is doing in your life. For Abraham, this time was a time of remembrance. Remembering the promises of God remembering his relationship with him. But it was also a time of looking to the future. Our men are going to get ready and prepare to, to pass out the elements as we get ready just to move into a time of the Lord's Supper and communion. There's a next step for every one of us in this room. None of us have arrived, including me. There's not one person in this room that's arrived. God had a next step for Abraham. God has a next step for every one of us. I don't know what your next step is, but I know this. Everyone has a next step. Maybe for some of you, it's the first step to where you just pray and ask him to come into your life and start a relationship with him. Maybe you've already done that. Maybe it's following him in the first thing that he has asked you to do once you become a believer, and that is to follow him in believer's baptism. It's a public declaration That's why Abraham built an altar between Bethel and Ai because it was public. He said, I'm not ashamed of him and I will call out on the name of the Lord. And maybe that's your next step. 
Maybe your next step is you're in Egypt right now and you know it. And life isn't good. There's some circumstances, there's some situations. Maybe this morning you just need to make the decision. You know what, today I'm returning. I'm getting out of Egypt. I'm getting out of Egypt relationally. I'm getting out of Egypt financially. I'm getting out of Egypt in some situations that I'm in. I am returning to him and he will welcome you home. I don't know what your next step is. But I know this, every one of us has a next step. I'm telling you, any area that you want God to bless, whether it's relationships, whether it's finances, whether it's a job, a career, make room for Him in that area. Be obedient. And He'll bless you like you cannot believe.